Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to Palm Sunday. It's good to have you with us as part of our our live stream today. Uh, In just a moment, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 19 as we commemorate this day and as we think about the significance of this day. But just a couple quick questions, even before we pray and then look at the Scriptures together. And we're just going to look at the Scriptures in part today, um, or in parts, I should say, in sections Um, But a few quick questions I just wanted to throw out there to us today to kind of set the tone or to uh, put our minds in the spot of what we're going to be looking at in this portion of Scripture. But the first question I have is this. When you're stressed, when you're upset, when you're anxious, how do you deal with those emotions? So think about that just for a second. When you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're upset, how do you deal with those emotions? All right, the follow-up to that is this. When your mind is filled with worries, what do you try to think about instead? So what do you try and replace those thoughts with? What do you try and think about when your mind gets kind of consumed or filled with, with different worries? The third question I have is this. What do you daydream about? So just in general, what do you tend to daydream about? Just in a, in a moment of pause or in a moment of relaxation, what do you daydream about? And the reason I ask those questions right now prior to reading our scripture together is this. Our answers to any of those questions can actually reveal to us what we believe will bring our hearts a sense of peace. These are the type of things that help reveal the answer to that question to us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about what it, what it means to understand what will bring us peace, or even asking the question, would we like to know what will bring us peace? Because this world's looking for peace, not just right now in the current context, but in general, just the nature of what we want in this world. One of the things that we want is peace. Ever since mankind severed our fellowship with our Creator, we've been attempting to find peace through created things instead of trying to find peace through Him. And this has been the struggle of humanity ever since our earliest days, and it's the struggle that we deal with right now. And that struggle was also very highly visible on the day of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he entered into the city on that day, he was surrounded by all kinds of people, all sorts of crowds, uh, looking and and, uh, observing and even commenting and and, uh, reacting to what was taking place. And you have some people in that group that genuinely trusted in Jesus Christ. And you have others who were looking for him to be the means by which they would acquire many of the worldly things that they actually trusted in. And then you have others that were in that context who despised him, and they openly rebuked him. So you have a mixture of people in the crowd on the day of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I think when you look at that crowd, each of us can find someone in that crowd that represents the state that our hearts are in right now. And so again, the question we're asking today is, would you like to know where true peace uh, can be obtained? Would you like to know how true peace can be obtained? We're going to see that as we look at the portion of Luke chapter 19 that we're looking at today. But before we take a look at it, I just want to have a word of prayer for us. So join me in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to worship you together this morning from wherever we are. 
And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that, that you are ultimately the source of our greatest peace, that the type of peace that we try to find through worldly means or through the things that we obtain in this world, we know, Lord, that that's no peace at all because it doesn't last. It's not sufficient. But we find peace through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Our relationship with you is restored. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that, that you bless us with the gift of that peace through your son. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 19 today, we pray that you'd help our hearts and help our minds to understand these truths, that by your grace we would live them out, and that we would experience the peace that you alone offer. And Lord, we're grateful again to be able to meditate on these things this morning, and so we commit this time to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want to point out to us as we look at Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 28 in just a moment, but that's this. We need to view everything that's been entrusted to us as actually belonging to Jesus. When we're thinking about, you know, how is this peace obtained? Well, we got to view everything that's been entrusted to us as actually belonging to Jesus. And there's an interesting way that gets illustrated when we look at uh, Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 28. Look with me if you would. In verse 28, I'll read down to verse 34, but it says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Let's pause there for just a moment. Some of the most influential people in my life are people that probably fit into categories that you wouldn't really expect. And one of the things that I've experienced as a pastor over the past 22 years that has really blessed me is just the example of faith that I see from people that I've had the privilege to be their pastor. And when I was a brand new pastor, uh, I'd only been pastoring a very short period of time, I had the opportunity to meet two sisters. And these two sisters, they uh, were both retired Uh, Neither of them had ever married or had children, and and they lived together, and uh, they shared a house, and they had a a very reliable car, and they were looking for ways that they could ultimately bless our church family with the time that they had available to them and with the resources that they had available to them. And so one of the things that the Lord had entrusted to them was this reliable car, and they recognized that in our church at the time, we had multiple people who were elderly who really just needed sometimes a ride to the doctor or a ride to get a haircut or a ride to the grocery store. And so they just made themselves available to give rides to the elderly wherever they needed a ride. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I remember seeing all sorts of people, you know, take them up on that offer because it really was the best offer that they could, that they could find to be able to, to gain some transportation to what they needed to, to do or where they needed to go. And so these two sisters would take people all around the community to different appointments. They'd wait with them. They'd take them to the grocery store. They'd take them wherever they needed to go. And their perspective was this. The Lord entrusted this reliable car to us. And since the Lord entrusted this reliable car to us, we're going to make use of it and the time that the Lord's given to us to be a blessing to His people. We're going to serve them for Christ's glory. And this was a ministry that they had in our church family, in the community. For me, it was an example that I took to heart and I learned from, and and it really prompted me to begin appreciating how we could use something like that for the Lord's glory and for the benefit of His people. And when you look at the portion of Scripture that I just read, you know, I I bring that story up because in this passage of Scripture, we see a principle illustrated that we would do well to take to heart. In this world, there are going to be many different things that are entrusted to us. So we may be blessed with knowledge, we may be blessed with time, We may be blessed with certain abilities that are kind of unique to us and maybe not as common to some of the people that are in our day-to-day life. We may be blessed with finances or specific resources or specific tools or a reliable car or anything that kind of falls in those categories. And when you look at what was taking place in this portion of Luke 19, which I read just a moment ago, in this particular context, we're told that Jesus sent a couple of his disciples to go and acquire and to bring him a colt. And so they followed his directions. And when they followed his directions, what they did was they found the colt that he had told them about, they untied it, and they told the the owners of the colt that they were taking it because the Lord needed it. They were taking this colt because the Lord needed it. And from what we see in this this pivotal portion of Scripture, the answer that these disciples gave to the owners of this colt apparently satisfied them. They were fine with that. That was sufficient. The thought that the Lord needed it was a good enough reason for them to accept that this colt was now being untied and taken from them. Jesus was about to use that colt to ultimately demonstrate something that was significant and something that was prophetic about his identity as our eternal king. But what he was also doing is he demonstrated that, as he also revealed this aspect of his identity. He was also choosing to offer the owners of this cult the unique privilege of partnering with him in this mission. And they certainly could have said no. They, they could have chased the disciples away from their property. But that's not how they responded. That's not what they chose to do. They were content to treat what the Lord had entrusted to their care as something that ultimately belonged to the Lord anyway. And so they said, okay, you know, you can take it. Take the colt. Use the colt. Again, I think that this is a very helpful example for us to be thinking about really at any time, but I, I, it's, it's been kind of like a recurring thought that has been on my mind frequently in the particular context that we're in right now. And even though we live many generations after this, this initial event, there's some things that I think we can take, from, take to heart from it. And I have found that, that it's a true principle of life to understand that, that you can either worship what the Lord blesses you with, or you can use what He blesses you with to worship Him. We either worship His blessings, 
or we can use those blessings to worship Him. And obviously, one is significantly better than the other. Meaning, if we're selfish with His blessings, you know, if we take what the Lord's blessed us with, with whatever category you want to apply this to, we take whatever He's blessed us with, and we start, start, you know, start worshiping those things, we effectively have turned the blessings of God into idols that we worship. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to take the blessings God gives to us and then worship the blessings instead of worshiping the one who blesses. Everything the Lord entrusts to us, it doesn't actually belong to us, it belongs to Him. And so this was a concept that we saw last week when we were looking at Acts chapter 4 as the early believers uh, embraced that thought and they said, okay, we're going to meet one another's needs. But it's also actually illustrated, I think, in how the owners of this cult respond to uh, these disciples saying, hey, the Lord has need of this. And so they allow this cult to be taken and they allow it to be used for what the Lord had uh, ultimately designed this cult to be used for. So let me ask just kind of an application question related to this. Have you ever wondered if one of the reasons why sometimes it may feel like you struggle to find peace in this world that it may be because you're actually trying to hold on to something that ultimately doesn't belong to you. And what I mean by that is this. Can you identify anything that, like any created thing that the Lord has entrusted to your care, that you would not say yes to the Lord if the Lord said, I want you to turn this back over to me, or I want you to share this with somebody else. I want you to use this for the greater good of the purpose of my kingdom. Is there anything that the Lord's entrusted to you that would fit in a category that you would not say yes to him if that was something that he asked of you? And I bring that up because as we look at this portion of Scripture that that speaks of Christ's triumphal entry, that's how this portion of Scripture is set up. It's set up with this idea of not being selfish with what's entrusted to you. And, and I, as, I, as I look at this, I see that this is exactly what the Lord's about to demonstrate with his actions and with his life. You see this, this perspective where he says, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to selfishly hold onto what belongs to me when it can be a blessing to those that the Lord's placed In my life, we see that the Lord is demonstrating that in his own actions, but he's inspiring that sort of thing from us as well. And look at how he carries this out. He starts to now carry this out on the day of his triumphal entry. Look at verse 35 down to verse 40, where it shows us what Christ does, but also encourages us when when we talk about our mindset or our attitude or even the words that come from our lips to not let a critical spirit inhibit our enthusiasm for praising Jesus. Look at verse 35 down to verse 40. It says this, And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, or excuse me, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. 
So this portion of Scripture is amazing on multiple levels, including the fact that, that it demonstrates the fulfillment of the prophecy made by the prophet Zechariah five centuries earlier. And I'll read it for us in just a second, but it's from Zechariah chapter 9. And in that portion of Zechariah's book, we're told um, that the king who would offer salvation would come to Jerusalem humbly, and he would be riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this was a sign that was, that was foretold as a form of confirmation to those with, with eyes to see and with ears to hear, so that they would recognize that this was indeed the coming Messiah, the long-promised Messiah. This is now a prophecy that's 500-plus years old that's being fulfilled in Jesus right there in front of their faces. I'll read to us what it says from Zechariah 9.9. In that portion of Scripture, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus rode, he rode that colt into the city. And what we have taking place in that context, you have people spreading their cloaks out on the road. They take their cloaks and they spread them out on the road. In Mark chapter 11, verse 8, we're also told that that people spread leafy branches around, and they spread those around on the road, and that's typically why we refer to this event as having happened on Palm Sunday in regard to those palm branches being spread. I'll read to us from Mark chapter 11, verse 8. There it says this, it said, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Um, Incidentally, I don't know why we have chosen to call today Palm Sunday instead of Cloak Sunday. I think that very easily it could have been nicknamed one or the other because both were placed before Jesus as signs of respect and as signs to acknowledge uh, Christ's kingship. And we see examples of this same kind of honor being shown to kings in the Old Testament era as well. A good example of this we find in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. But there, very quickly, it says, it says, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So again, we see this as a pattern. This is something that would have been in the minds of the people at the time. They recognized that this was a way to publicly acknowledge that you recognize someone as king. That you're recognizing that someone has kingly authority. And so as they're spreading their cloaks and as they're spreading these branches and, and you know, these leafy branches down, as they're putting these things before Christ and giving him this to essentially walk over or trample over as he's on this colt, as he's on this donkey, They're demonstrating that they believe that Jesus is king, that they recognize him as king. And as Jesus rode into the city, the Scripture tells us that his disciples were calling something out. Scripture says that they yelled out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they also say, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So this is what they're yelling out. This is what they're proclaiming. They praised Jesus loudly on that day. And they were very open about it as well. And when you look at what was going on here, it's very clear that they were ecstatic about the possibility of Jesus establishing and setting up His earthly kingdom and bringing Israel greater prominence and peace 
than they had enjoyed even back in the days of King David or King Solomon. You know, they were looking forward to that. They were hoping that that was going to take place right then and right there. But instead of joining the disciples in praising Jesus over these things, you have another group in that crowd that the Scripture speaks about. And the Scripture tells us there's a group of people in that crowd, the Pharisees. And as we know, the Pharisees were the religious elite of that day. And we're also told that they did not like what they were witnessing. They didn't like what they were seeing. They're seeing the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. They're seeing it right there in front, of, in front of their faces. And these were men who knew the Scriptures, yet they did not like what they were seeing. They didn't rejoice in what they were seeing being fulfilled right in front of their face. In fact, the Scripture tells us that they sternly instructed Jesus to tell His disciples to be quiet. So could you imagine the audacity of this group of people telling Jesus, who had created creation, who sustains the universe by His powerful Word, who is offering Himself as King and Savior and Messiah, and they go up to Him, and they, they're irritated that people would dare praise Him. And they sternly warn Him to tell His disciples to pipe down, to quiet down, to stop talking, to stop praising, to stop proclaiming. Basically, in their minds, because they rejected who Jesus is, they were viewing this praise that Jesus was receiving as a form of blasphemy. They looked at this as blasphemy, and they, they, they said to him, listen, you've got to make these people stop. They have to stop. And, and in response, you have Jesus, who, again, is Lord over all creation. He replies to them. And I love the way he replies, because he replies in a, a wise way, in a very honest way but also in a very direct manner. And he looks at them, and he tells them that if his disciples didn't praise him, the very rocks of the ground would cry out in praise. So in essence, he was saying that, that even though humanity tries to squelch the knowledge of its creator, the creation still testifies to the one who made it. Meaning, you know, if man being created in the image of God won't sing the praises of Jesus, then the humble, ra- the, the humble rocks that man just thoughtlessly walks over would joyfully accept the privilege to do so in our place. Um, I made the mistake just the other day of watching the news. Usually I consider that a mistake. I've kind of watched more news lately than I would care to admit. Uh, but usually the news doesn't do a whole lot of good for my mindset or for my heart, but I was watching it just the same. And the big debate the other day, and maybe some of you already saw this, so you probably know what I'm referring to, but the big debate the other day on the news, at least from some sources, was whether or not it was appropriate for a business owner to encourage people to pray to the Lord, to give the Lord praise, um, and uh, to take time to read the Bible together with your family. I don't know if you saw any of that. There was a big debate over all of that. You know, people were annoyed that this business owner would take a public forum and encourage people to give the Lord praise, to pray together with their family, and to read the Bible together. And apparently, ever since that business owner has expressed that in a public forum, he's been receiving a lot of harsh media scrutiny, essentially telling him to quiet down. We don't want to hear it. We're not interested. He's been basically ripped apart by by some sources of the media. 
And so that's what he's been receiving over the course of the week. I think he's also received some adulation and respect from, from others who, who share his viewpoint. Um, but I'll tell you one other thing he's about to receive. He's about to receive several orders for the product that he sells from my household because we respect people who make public professions of their faith and take the opportunity to use a platform that the Lord has given them to give him praise. And I thought how wonderful that somebody would take that moment to give the Lord praise in the midst of a situation where I think our hearts desperately need to see that and hear that. And you know, just as there were people during this era uh, that Christ was doing ministry in that were trying to dampen praise of Christ, they were trying to dampen praise of Him at the time of His triumphal entry, there are critics who will attempt to do so in our day as well. That is not unique to 2,000 years ago. That's something that you and I will experience as well. If you seek to be open in your adulation of Christ, if you seek to be open in your praise of Christ, don't be surprised when from time to time someone tries to dampen that praise or encourage you to just be quiet, to stop giving that praise, to stop uh, proclaiming the Lord's name in the context that He's given you the opportunity to proclaim His name. But don't let a critical spirit ever dampen your enthusiasm for testifying to the greatness of Christ. You know how great He's been in your life. I know how great He's been in my life. I can't allow the critical spirits that so many people have latched onto to dampen my enthusiasm for giving Christ praise. I won't let it happen. I can't let it happen. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, it says, listen, if people won't do it, the very rocks that you walk on are going to do it in your place. I think we need to do that. We need to give the Lord praise in whatever sphere of life He's placed us in, regardless of our field, regardless of our platform of influence, regardless of the the smug attitudes of those who might look sideways at you or try and rob you of your joy while you're doing it. Never hesitate to give the Lord praise. Don't be intimidated by others that would discourage you from giving the Lord praise. Praise Him in every context, recognizing there will always be people uh, this side of a restored creation that will try and dampen that praise, but don't let it dampen praise that has the opportunity to flow from your lips. And I'm grateful that the disciples of Christ continue to give the Lord praise, even in the midst of pressure to stop. And there's one other thing that's pointed out to us in this portion of Scripture that I want to highlight today on this Palm Sunday, and that's this. I think it's really important. We need to let Jesus show us what He's trying to show us, even if it wasn't what we were looking for. So think about that for just a second. We've got to let Jesus show us what He's been trying to show us, even if it wasn't what we were looking for. Look at what it tells us in verses 41 down to verse 44 of Luke chapter 19. It says this, And when He, draw, when he drew near and saw the city, so this is as He's coming to the city of Jerusalem, right? It says in verse 41, And when He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation." It's a fascinating portion of Scripture to think about, and to think about the fact that Christ said these words on the day of His triumphal entry. 
You know, each of us have things in life that we're passionate about. And there's some good things that we're passionate about and certainly some things that we really shouldn't be all that passionate about. But, you know, there are things that the Lord allows us to enjoy, and we enjoy them for His glory. I, I was blessed a few years ago when I had the opportunity to, to talk to a man who was telling me, he said, you know, I had all sorts of opportunities in life to take my life in a, a variety of directions, but somewhere along the way I discovered that I enjoy building and installing fences. And, uh, and he said this as he was installing the fence in my yard, and his team were installing a fence in my yard several years ago. And I said, really? I, I said, tell me more about that. And he said, yeah, I, I, I discovered that this is something I really enjoy doing, and eventually I got good at it. And so I decided to just keep doing it more and more, and I ended up building a company around it, and his company is very successful. He's done a great job with it, and he's discovered he really has a passion for building fences. And that doesn't sound like the type of thing that I ever would have expected somebody to say they have a passion for, but he was passionate about it. And as somebody that hired him to install a fence, I was glad he was passionate about it because he did a really good job. And it's now several years since he installed it, and I have to tell you, it's been holding up great. And it looks great. And uh, I'm grateful for his passion. But, you know, we get passionate and we get excited about things. We get excited about good things and passionate about good things. But sometimes we also get passionate about things that are not important really at all. And sometimes these things start to be areas that we start to treat like they're areas of greatest importance when they're really not that, that important at all. And we can start developing some sort of a tunnel vision toward these things. The, the, these passions that really aren't important start to be treated like they're the most important thing, and we end up missing what Christ is trying to show us because it wasn't what we wanted to see. Our attention got all focused on something that we became passionate about, and then we stopped missing the greater point of what Christ was trying to show us. I've certainly done that multiple times in my life, and I would assume that probably all of us have done that, either in small ways or big ways or both. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he looked out over the city. So he's observing the buildings, he's looking at the people, he's seeing the activity that's taking place there, this bustling historical city. And as he sees this taking place, the scripture tells us that he wept. So this day that we celebrate, this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday that we celebrate, you have Christ looking out over the city of Jerusalem, and the scripture tells us that he starts weeping. He weeps over the people. He weeps over what he's seeing. His heart was grieved as he watched the very people that he had created spending all their time and all their energy focused on the wrong things and seeking to find peace through worldly ambitions or seeking to find peace through created things instead of realizing that he alone could give them the peace that their hearts were thirsting for. They were convinced that all sorts of things could give them peace. And Christ is looking at this and he's saying, how tragic. They don't even realize that what can truly give them peace is right here, right in front of their face. And they don't see it. And now it's hidden from their eyes. But Jesus is the source for our peace. Jesus is where true peace for our hearts can truly be found. I love what we're told in John chapter 4, verse 14. In that portion of Scripture, Jesus says this. He says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Christ is telling us that if we, that we receive him, 
that He satisfies the thirst, He satisfies the longing of our souls. As Jesus looked at this group of people, as He's looking out over Jerusalem, as He's seeing the community, as He's seeing the city, He's seeing a group of people whose lives were being invested in things that had no eternal value. And Jesus, He prophetically stated that all these things that they had trusted were going to be taken from them. I think that's fascinating. You know, you look at their context, all these things that they had trusted were going to be taken away from them. I can't help but, but wonder if right now what we're going through could actually in part be used of the Lord as a blessing to remind us that He's more important than the things we've been trusting. Because look at what we're experiencing right now. You know, I'll, I didn't necessarily plan to say this, but I'll tell you what, last night I noticed that we were low on coffee. There's a certain kind of coffee I like in my house, and so I went to a store to try and buy it. I couldn't get it. I've never been able to, ha- I've never had that problem, ever. It's one of the most popular brands of coffee ever, and I couldn't get it. I wanted it, and I couldn't get it. And I thought, all right, why is this so important to me? But it was a reminder to me, okay, all those things that I I was used to having, basically, whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And isn't that the case for our culture? We're used to having whatever we want, whenever we want. And then we're going through a season right now that'll probably be on the brief side, but we're still in the midst of it, so it's hard to think about it being brief when you're right in the midst of it. But could it not be a a season where the Lord's showing us that the things we've been trusting to give us a sense of peace are things that can be quickly taken away? We trust things that can be taken away. And that's what Jesus was weeping over when he was looking at the people of Jerusalem. He's looking at them and he's, he's saying, you know, the things that you thought could give you peace are things that are about to be taken away. And basically what he says here in this portion of Scripture, he reveals something that was about to take place in just a few short decades right after this when basically their enemies would one day surround the city, tear them to the ground, and he he says, and not leave one stone resting upon another, because they did not recognize the time of Christ's visitation to them. They rejected Christ as their king because they really only wanted a political savior. That's all they wanted. They didn't want the eternal king of creation, the Lord over all creation. They just wanted a political savior, a political messiah. And we know that less than 40 years after Christ spoke these words in the year A.D. 70, so, you know, less than 40 years later, the Romans besieged and they destroyed both Jerusalem and the temple. The very things that Christ said were going to happen happened less than four decades after he said these things were going to take place. Let me say this. Christ knows that naturally speaking, we were not looking for Him. We were looking for something else to bring us peace. We were not reaching out to Him, and neither were the people living at the time that this particular Scripture was being lived out. We were not reaching out to Him. We were not seeking Him. But He came to this earth seeking us, and He's still seeking us, and He's still trying to show us things that that we weren't inclined to look for. He's still seeking to show us things that we were not valuing, And He wants us to see and He wants us to understand that He is offering us true peace, a peace that is not circumstantial, a peace that can't be taken away if your circumstances or your daily context has changes small or big. Christ offers us true peace. No temporary or no circumstantial peace that this world can give 
can compare to the lasting peace that we receive through Jesus Christ. Christ offers us a real future. It's not a future that's filled with flighty ambitions or worldly priorities, but a future in His kingdom that He has secured for us. Christ offers us life. We were dead in sin, Scripture tells us. And we were stained with our own unrighteousness. We had no standing before our Creator, and we were condemned to an eternity apart from Him. But Jesus took our sin upon Himself at the cross. He defeated death when He rose from the grave, and He offers us new life through faith in Him. He cleanses us of our sin, He makes us brand new, and He destines us to live forever with Him in peace the peace that He supplies. So when we're wrestling with this idea of peace, and when we're asking the question, you know, would you like to know what can bring you peace? I mean, if someone asks you that question, would you like to know what could bring you peace? What would our answer be? Well, Jesus makes it clear in this passage that the answer to that question, without a doubt, is Him, and Him alone. He brings us peace. So let me say this as we finish up. Don't offer the affections of your heart to anything less than the one who has created you. Trust Christ. Walk with Christ. And you will find the peace that you've been looking for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning and really give thought to this idea of where lasting peace is obtained. Lord, so often we look for peace through our circumstances or things that we acquire or through the assurances that we receive through our employers, or the assurances that we receive from a government, or the assurance that we receive even from our own counsel. But then we look at those things in depth and we realize that all of that changes so quickly. Our circumstances seem to change like the weather. Lord, you don't change. You're the same yesterday, you're the same today, you're the same forever. And Lord, we know that when you came to Jerusalem and you looked over them, you looked at them and you, you, you said, if only you knew what would bring you peace. You saw just people chasing after all sorts of things that, that had no opportunity to bring their hearts peace. And yet there you were right there in the midst of all of these people and all of these circumstances. And there were people trying to discourage others from praising you. And there were people that weren't even paying any attention to you. And there you were offering peace, offering yourself And Lord, here we are a couple millennia later, and our hearts chase after all sorts of silly things, and we think, all right, maybe this will bring me peace, or this will bring me peace. And we come right back to the context that we find in this portion of Scripture, if only our hearts knew what would bring us peace. And the answer for them and the answer for us has always been you, Lord Jesus. You bring us peace. You are the source of our contentment. So, Lord, if we're still chasing after the wrong things, we pray that you'd make that very clear to us right now in this special time where you're stripping away all sorts of distractions. We pray that we would finally see, that you would open up our eyes to see that you are the source of peace, that our hearts will find rest, that our hearts will find contentment, that our hearts will find peace through knowing you. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be reminded of these things today, but we pray that this would also be something that we remember tomorrow and the next day and for the rest of our lives. You are are the source of our peace. You are where peace is found. So again, Lord, thank you for bringing this to our our attention today on this Palm Sunday. 
And Lord, we want to give you praise, unencumbered, uninhibited. We just want to thank you for how wonderful you are to us. And we just commit ourselves to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for being with us today. I hope that you're doing well. Hope you're holding up. Hope that uh, your house is uh, utilizing this time to spend some extra time in prayer, some extra time looking at the Word of God, some extra time reflecting on the fact that Christ is ultimately our source of peace. Later this week, uh, we'll be having a time together for Good Friday, so we hope you'll join us for that. Uh, There'll be more information about that posted online, so be sure to check it out. And uh, we're also looking forward to this coming week, a week from now, where we'll have the opportunity to celebrate Christ's resurrection together on Easter Sunday. So looking forward to spending these times with you, even though we have to be creative in how we go about it right now. Uh, But again, we hope you're doing well. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to getting together again in whatever fashion the Lord allows us to do so very soon. Take care.